Greetings, Steve Scaresbrook. And it's a bit rainy outside, it's a bit cold, so it's a great day for a podcast and it's warm in my little study. Um, as many of you know, I do all my podcasts now on OBS, Open Broadcast Systems or Software. And um, today's no exception. Um, only two different feeds coming in today, uh, my camera and also um, the uh, feed from the presentation itself. Um, I don't intend to do any sketching, but if I do, then I'll turn it on and we'll switch over to that particular scene within OBS. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, the simple answer is we're going to start looking at the internet in 30 years' time. And there's a good reasons for doing this, um, simply because the internet is now more or less 30 years old. Um, all started sometime back before the 30 years. But generally, what we now consider to be the internet um, started this year, 30 years ago. So um, without further ado, let's get on and have a look at the um, at the presentation and see what we've got to um, to look at. Um, by the way, um, the next issue will be on the 14th, 4th of January, and we're going to look at old construction books. Um, but in the meantime, let's go back onto the presentation and um, and have a look and see what we've got. Um, there are a couple of versions of this presentation about. Um, if you're one of my students, then you've probably got the older version from Moodle. Um, this one is a deeper look into the future, more up-to-date, perhaps cutting-edge development stuff, more in-depth video comments, slightly wider view than the non-enhanced version. In other words, I've broadened my um, remit a little bit. <coughs> I'm sorry for the cough. I've got a bit of a tickle. And um, I'm going to try and put onto this presentation some LinkedIn um, digital interviews. Um, not here at the moment, but they will be there. And there's going to be um, maybe one or two people involved um, who will give me um, their view of what we're talking about into the future of the Internet. So um, a plaque. Um, why did I put this up? Well, if you can read that there, it says, today is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday and all is well. Um, <coughs> it was a, a plaque that that my father had up on the wall. I, I think he actually, his dad made it. Um, this isn't the actual one. This is another one of the same style where it was a bit of fretwork that they did at school or whatever. And... Um, he uh, he made this up as a workpiece to show future employees, and um, I thought it was quite good to look at this and to see how we actually view the future. Uh, and for me, it's all about understanding what's coming in by looking at the past rather than worrying about what's coming in the future tomorrow. <coughs> so. Let's move on. Um, we need to establish a base point. It's always good when you're looking at this stuff to to understand where we come from. And as I said, you know, 30 years ago, what we now know as the Internet was probably born. And it was Tim Berners-Lee who introduced the World Wide Web, 1989, 1990, so, you know, 30 years ago. And it can truly be said that this is a system we can see as similar today's internet but i say similar it, it's changed over the last 30 years massive improvements massive ways of linking information together um, better text video all sorts of stuff have come on board and although you can see the similarities if you look back it is no way the same um and the big question I suppose we have to ask now is, really, is uh, how is it going to change um, in the next 30 years? And, and that's something we need to have a quick look at, I think. Uh, for those of you listening, um, I've got a new screen coming up, and, and, and it really is about built and run by the nerds with some old photographs. Um, there's a book there, um, which is probably the one you need to look at, Revolution in the Valley. Um, it, it's it's a massive one. Um, 
it, it goes through how they actually built the machines, how was and Steve and Steve um, Jobs built up the empires that we've got today and the people involved, how Bill Gates poo-pooed the internet and he was basically pissed off with people who stole his code. The, the nerds were all about free and open software. But uh, I don't know, Bill Gates was very business-minded as he still is. Um, but there were various people out there who started to look at how the information was going to be done. The book, Revolution in the Valley by Andy Hertzfeld, is absolutely required reading. Um, I've read it a couple of times, and it always brings up interesting points. Um, I quite like the history of it. It gives me future in the way that I can see somebody else coming along and doing much the same. And we'll touch on this later on. But basically, um, this is about the people who built it, the free and open software that they tried to do, the way that companies started to look at how they could monetize it. And this was well against what all the, the guys who we look at here were all about. They wanted it open free programs, internet, and the machines they wanted to be as cheap as possible. That wasn't going to be, obviously, but the software, another thing altogether. I've put this slide up, and, and the basic heading is feared by governments. And you have to ask the question, who owns the internet? Well, basically, nobody actually owns the internet. It's supposed to be organized as a decentralized network of networks. Thousands of companies, university governments, and entities operating their own little bit of the internet and um, exchanging traffic by voluntary and connected agreements. In other words, they've cabled together so many machines that they now start to talk to each other. But Governments being what governments are, they want control of it. They fear the internet and people like China and to some extent the EU are now trying to control what goes on. Will they ever succeed? I doubt it very much because once they do, then it'll go underground and we will see a new internet being born. Um, but maybe governments won't do that because they see it as an easy way to see what's going on in the world, as most of the world's information is on the internet. So the likes of GCHQ in the UK and the National Security Agency in the States and just about every other country, including Russia, have got their own little ways of um, peeking at everybody's information. You'll see GCHQ moaning. You'll see the NSA moaning. But at the end of the day, they're all doing exactly the same thing to each other. So will they ever get rid of the internet? I doubt it very much. But they'll want their own versions to come on board. And we'll look at that later. But who makes the money? Often rules the roost is the next slide. And you have to start looking at the people who are playing in this market. Apple. I've been a big fan of Apple for a long, long time. Um, I've got many of their machines, and many of them I've given back to the university to do research on. But their turnover shows what they're doing. $260 billion in 2019. That's an insane amount of turnover. And it shows the value of the internet to the people who work it. But most of all, they're the people who will decide how things are done. Well, at least they think so. I'll go into this in a little while. Alphabet, mostly Google and like-minded little companies like Sidewalk Labs and the other small companies. But most of their turnover is from Google and associated areas attributed like YouTube and whatever and their search $161 billion. So, you know, they're, they're not in the same league as Apple, but they certainly turn over a massive amount of money. Microsoft, 
you would expect Microsoft to be turning over a lot more, but 125 billion, still a huge amount of money, but nowhere in the realms of Apple or Alphabet. And all the others fall way behind in their turnover. Still very good turnovers if you compare them to other businesses. But the top three, Apple, Alphabet, and Microsoft, still basically run the world as far as the internet is concerned. And you might think that they are the ones who generate most of the new products. No, not really, because what happens is that the small companies integrate new products into the marketplace, and then one of these three or the others will start to buy them up. But what path to take? Apple, they watch, follow, and then make their own tech, very private, promotes its own security. And generally, if they see something, they'll go after it and buy it. And they've done that many times before. So if Apple wants to do something, it generally does. They don't, these days, they don't actually invent anything. They did when Jobs was around. But if you look at what they've been doing, it's all much the same as what they did before. There's nothing really new come out of it. There are no iPhones or, or changes to the world. They just look at stuff, make it better, and then flog it on. Google, on the other hand, I'm quite convinced, takes the lead and just sees an interesting idea and then develops it to hell. And some of it works, some of it don't. You'll see products come and go with Google very, very quickly. And I've been on the bottom end of that where I've seen something I thought was absolutely wonderful. But Google says, no, not bringing enough money in. We'll dump it and we're out. Gmail, fortunately, is still there. And so are many of the things that, that you take for granted with Google now, like Google Drive, which is where most of my information and stuff belongs. Microsoft likes to claim that they are the world, but they haven't invented much really in a long time. Teams is probably the one that seems to have been the biggest innovation that they've done for a long time, and that was brought about because of COVID. And I must admit, it is very good. But if I had the chance again and I could do hindsight, I probably wouldn't have gone down the Teams route. I prefer to have gone down something like Zoom and maybe Dropbox with open storage. But apart from that, everything is good. Um, Teams does work very well. And then comes a company that's spread across various areas and it's headed by the new area, and that's Elon Musk. We'll look at it when we look at the wild ones later. But he's into cars, battery tech, space, rocket tech, implants, the new internet, you name it. And so I tend to think of Elon Musk as the, the new Steve Jobs, but we'll talk about that in a bit. So what is the internet? Well, there's basically four parts. There's what I call the last mile. That's the little bit in the ground outside my house. It's hardwired. It comes into my house, and generally, it's a piece of copper. The copper is the slow end of it, but it gives me sufficient ways of um, communicating with the internet with a reasonable speed. Then there is the Wi-Fi and satellite links that that comes as part of the internet, and we'll talk about that in a while. Then there's mobile. Now, mobile for me was very important, but today, because I'm at home most of the time, it's not so important to me. Um, but still, if I go outside and I use my phone, then I'm grateful for it. Then there's the data centers, and this is the third item where we've got cloud and the hybrid clouds coming up. Um, I'll go into the difference between the two later on. But basically, um, most of the information we do store now, and I have very little on anything on any of my machines, everything is stored in the cloud. And unfortunately, I have to pay for it. And up until recently, I've been happy to do that. But now I'm looking at alternatives. 
And then there is the backbone, the fiber optic network across the planet that is sending the signals across. And uh, I think this is the most exciting area of it. We've gone from the old copper cables around the world, and now we're on to fiber optics where the latency between me talking to Australia is almost negligible from the UK. So those are the four areas I see as being the internet. There's one last area, and, and I probably have should have put this down as the fifth one, and that is the individual little computers. Okay, you may call that the data centers around the world, but sometimes it's not that way. It's the small little computers that universities use or companies, but basically it's the data centers around the world. So the internet software, something's got to link all this lot together. And it's basically that they all run a copy of what's called TCP IP. It links all the devices together. It is the backbone, the software that the internet relies upon. On top of this, we have what's called HTTP. And it's the text, it's the hypertext markup language that forms the web as we now know it today. So that's it. There you've got the internet and it creaks and groans unlike it did about a week ago. Um, it drops out um, and caused me not a lot of problems. I walked away from my machine to have lunch and when I came back, it was back up and running again and I didn't lose anything. Um, not a big problem, but some people moaned about it. You know, all the stuff on the on the on the sites that were working, and this was a Google problem, not an open internet problem. Um, all these, you know, where's all my information gone? I can't get into Google. Oh dear, I've lost it all. You hadn't. It's just that there was a bit of a glitch in the system, and and it happens from time to time. So the glues that pulls the wires together is all these fiber optics going around the planet. There are the satellites now, and we're looking at Starlink, but there are others out there like the recent ones that are now being put up that allows us to view the planet in wholly different ways. And that's a lecture in its own right. So we're looking at this network of cables Old ones still exist, I presume, but most of it is fiber optics. And the whole system is glued together by this network of machines, these voluntary links between the machines. And it's what we call the internet. So what we have to look at is how do I know what machine I'm talking to? Well, there is a web address system. It's called the URL or the Uniform Resource Locator. And it basically says, if I want to talk to a particular page, then this is the address for that particular page. It's run by CAN, C-A-N-N. It's a non-profit organization that regulates online addresses. And these domain names, as they come, come with suffixes, like .com, like .org, and for me, .co.uk. And it's basically a control that says where your information is being stored and the sort of information that's being stored. It's overseen by the US government. And this is seen as being a big problem for many countries who don't trust the US. And you can understand that when the president is, is at the moment is you know, quite capable of shutting everybody off from this particular system. And so the scared people out there are saying, we need to have this as being centrally operated. Um, and I can understand what they're talking about. But there are so many out there now that some of them are being controlled by UK governments or the other governments around the world. And there are an absolute ton of different listings that can be look or these control suffixes at the end of an address. Um, anything from um, doctor through to you name it, information, whatever. 
all these little tiny suffixes at the end of them are now being controlled outside of ICANN, although CAN is now looking at um, pulling them all in, and it often does. So the address is really um, a control system that allows you to know where your information is being stored. Satellite web. And this is where you start to get into the future. And this is where I think there is a lot of interest. Starlink, Elon Musk, 362. I think it's now, by the time I've written this, I've said 362, but I think it's over 400 now. Well over 400 that he's got up there. And he's going to have a lot more going up there. If you look at the way that the, um, the unboxing videos on YouTube are looking at the way that it's so interestingly good that you just come up into the middles of the US, into the real reaches of the countryside, and they put these things up, and all of a sudden they're getting 50 to 60 megabits per second. <coughs> That's the same speed that I'm getting here. So, you know, and it costs them 100 pounds a month, which is very, very reasonable. OneWeb um, is a consortium. It was facing bankruptcy. It's now back and running, and they just put up a whole load more um, information. Uh, sorry, satellites up into the into the orbit, and they're becoming very interesting. Uh, again, same sort of thing, um, but uh, I wait and see. Competition is good. SoftBank they've just filed for bankruptcy, and I don't think they're existence anymore. And then they got the very secret Blue Origin by Amazon. And um, although it's backed by Amazon, um, we'll wait and see what happens with that um, to see whether they actually bring anything onto the marketplace. Now, let's look at the cloud. And this is an area where I see great innovation coming from because we can split it now into two different distinct areas. There is the standard locational storage areas like Google's own dotted around the world. And Google's quite interesting because it shares its information not on one. So if I put an, a, a file up onto the internet into the drive, it's not stored in one area, it's stored in many areas. So if one of them is destroyed, then I've got backups dotted around the world. I don't have to organize it. Google does it for me. And then there is the hybrid storage. And this is becoming quite interesting because as the internet grows, it becomes under the influence of the law. And certain countries have different laws. And so if you're a company, you may not want to store your information in a US-dominated storage system. You want to store it in the UK or within Europe or whether it's in Italy or in Africa or wherever. And I quite understand this. And so you can see that hybrid storage or specific areas of storage where it's not stored anywhere else but in this particular area or this particular storage in that particular country is now going to become interesting. Where's the future in this? Well, what happens when somebody says, I'm going to put a satellite up out of the jurisdiction of anybody and you can store your information up there? All you need is a, a disk and you beam it into the right location and you can then get your information from a satellite that's outside the law of anybody. That is interesting. Can you see Elon Musk with his Starlink doing that? I can. Certainly I can. So I'm going to look at this and the cloud is becoming very interesting the way that it's, it, it's done. So um, it's called Off Planet. And I'm beginning to understand that this may be a way forward. And certainly the likes of Starlink and the others could be an area where this may actually happen. 5G is another area where we're starting to look at the way that small little devices can communicate with each other. Sensors, talking to each other, saving data. And this data is becoming more and more interesting as we go on. The 5Gs of this world are almost there now. There are certainly EEE and some of the other big boys 
who operate some of the internet and also the the wireless systems are now saying that it's up and running and 6g and 7g is being talked about hell i have no idea what 7g is going to talk about i have no idea what 6g is but 5g i understand and it's an area where you may find <coughs> that it could be very interesting so um 5g an area where i can see easily that the future of the internet is now going to be dominated where you'll see small little devices talking to each other information coming in better information coming into my mobile phone or even my desktop system which is predominantly where i look at so what is the future speed has got to be the the, the first on the list it's getting faster and faster if you look at the google networks that are around the globe one gigabit a second that's insanely fast and that means massive amounts of information coming through so easily cad systems rely on very large files and so the better the quicker the internet is the easier it's going to be then there's the internet of things this 5g stuff you know the amount of information that's going to be flowing around it needs good speed but how it's handled that's the question and that's the future let's look at ai and i'm not going to go into this i'm just going to mention the concept people say we can't have ai well i'm sorry you've already got it it's out there it's running it's running a lot more systems than you would care to think about and i for one think it is great algorithms sitting there doing what they should do the problem is the people who write some of these ais are just coders they don't understand what they've actually written and there's the problem that ai is being badly written so don't blame ai for doing some of the things it is like facial recognition and getting it wrong it's not ai that's done the problem it's the people who are writing it who are to blame the algorithms, clever as they are, need to be written by people who understand what they're writing about. So don't blame AI, but look at the future and see where it's going. And then there is the last area, which is so interesting. AR or augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality and enhanced reality. All these things are coming and you can see easily that when Google put glasses out, that they were playing with an idea. They took it off the public market, but kept it into the manufacturing area. And that's where they've done a lot of research. I think there is an interesting concept that we've not seen at the moment. Apple, we know are looking at it, and so are several others. And once they've sorted it out and got the price into the right area, then the people like me who wear glasses are going to be looking at all sorts of information coming in and being switched on to your lens so you can look at it how will this augmented and virtuality play a major role permanent view of the web on your glasses as i've said always connected and that scares me a little bit um i want to turn it off um, so does my good lady she's not an internet person so you know i like to switch it off every now and again but it's interesting to see it there if you get the chance go and look at a, a youtube series called h plus um, i've put a link onto the onto the show notes and onto the web um, page by the way you can see these slides up on my skies.co.uk site um, where i put all my my interesting slides and also you can see it on the at.cpdsite.co.uk where you can see all these slides they're all up there um, but H, H plus is very interesting when you look at how the internet could end up. I wouldn't want to be there for obvious reasons when you watch the videos. Google Glasses, I've put up a link to there, also to Magic Leap. It was an interesting concept, and I really wish you'd go and have a look at that one. We still don't know much about it, but they are out there. Microsoft HoloLens is probably the market leader. Um, again. Microsoft didn't invent it. They just copied and made something that was pretty good. And I think they're doing a good job on that one. And the older video of the architect's view 
of how um, SketchUp is being used by um, HoloLens. Very interesting. Some of my students are actually playing on this. And how AR and VR will mix them together to get extended reality. We really don't understand this, but if you want to do some research, go and have a look at this and see where it's going. So um, what else do we want to do? AI and data. Um, I am a big person as far as AI is concerned, as you heard before. But the interesting area is not the AI itself, it's the data. And the data is getting more and more. There are vast repositories of data that's out there, either private or it's open. And if you want some that's really interesting, go onto the government stats site. And there's a stack of information on there, including all the COVID information. And um, if you want to see how bad um, data can be presented, then go and watch the news at night when they start to put all the different scales up and the badly put together data on COVID deaths and hospital administrations. Um, I think it could be done a lot better, um, but I'm not a statistician. I'm just a pure um, guy who looks at the information and thinks <coughs> that's not very well presented. So what else have we got? 2D to 3D and spatial computing. I, I'm, I'm looking at this as far as research is going. And as you go out of 2D into 3D, you can see that there is a lot to be done in the way that spatial computing can be seen as the future of the internet, where one portion of it will be me walking past a building and I'm getting all the information for that building being put up on my screen, all the information on access, uh, the different people within the building, the floor levels, maps, everything else is all there. So I can um, I can see the information that I want as a 3D aspect. And you could easily see that, that AI would come into this, giving me the information I want rather than um, putting everything up there. It could say, I've got all this information. Do you want to see it? And I say, yes, please and all the information comes up, or I don't. <coughs> you have to ask the question. Um, and I've got several machines. I, I run a Mac, and it's a standalone machine sitting in my study. And to be honest, most of the time, I just use it as a browser because a lot of the information that I do is based in the cloud. And the programs that I'm running are predominantly being now hosted on the cloud. And so I'm looking at this as another area of research. Is the future of the internet going to be that I don't need a very powerful machine? I can do it on a Chromebook or even something smaller than that, my phone, for instance. So the way that the internet is running is becoming very interesting. It's not just the information source now. It is also the power behind a lot of computation. It's stronger, quicker, more easier to use, and also and it's more adaptable. No longer do you have to wait for them to send the disks out or tell you that it's there. You've got to download it and upload it back to your machine. I log on one morning and it says the program's been updated. Don't worry about it. Here it is. So I'm, I see this as a huge area of research and probably the future of the internet in that we start to look at how how the programs that we are running on a standalone machine become part of the internet. And this brings up the question of storage again. You know, I've talked about the, the storage with hybrid storage and, and, but who does actually run some of this? Google is obviously a big one. Amazon Drive, Rackspace, IBM, OneDrive, Dropbox, Apple Cloud, many, many more of them, all talking about the benefits of their particular security and how it cannot be um, hacked or whatever. Um, don't believe it. You know, if they want to get in, they probably will, as we've just seen recently with a company in the US who um, allowed a back door to be opened up, and they're all moaning now because um, a lot of sensitive information is now being seen as being hacked, and it's been going on for a long time. Light versus electricity. Um, 
optical computing is now seen as being the big area. We already know that a lot of the fiber optic cables are, are not electric. They're all run by light. And so this area of it is already known. But there is interesting areas going on where light is now being seen in a different view. And I want to make this a big area of research for me. So I'm looking at it, trying to understand how light is going to become more and more um, critical to the way that the internet works, not only because of the transfer of information at the speeds that light can do, but also in the way that it's going to start looking at going into the off-planet information systems, but also how we're going to see power being transmitted by light. Very interesting. And an area that I think will be a major source of, of technology in the future. What will be the effect on our particular side of the industry? That's CAD. Then you've got to look at the whole different things about how CAD was developed, where it's going, who's running the CAD systems, and what they see as being um, the future. I look at various areas, and some of it will be of interest. I think that the file structure needs to involve. Um, we've got data redundancy where new programs cannot read older files. That's slightly not the case any longer because we've moaned a lot and therefore the CAD company says, oh, you want to read old files? That's fine. We'll incorporate it. So a lot of old stuff is now being read, but it's, you know, there are a lot of stuff out there that needs to be looked at and we need to understand this and push to get better integration of older files, particularly files that were run by programs no longer in existence. And it doesn't matter what the program is you now got, whether it's the super duper duper version, it still can't read it because it doesn't understand the file structure. So we need to look at this and understand it in a better way. And this is what we really call digital legacy. Um, can I read the file in 100 years' time or 30 years' time? Um, I think we should be looking at this in a stronger light. And, you know, you can look back and you can see Leonardo's da Vinci's drawings. Um, they're how old? And I can still read them, yet I can't read a file that I made when I first started playing on a particular program that's no longer in existence. Hey, come on, this needs to be looked at. So I'm, I think this area of digital legacy or the structure of files needs to be looked at, particularly the older ones. Security is an ongoing business. It is an area where we need to be predominantly ahead of the game. There are too many people out there who want to steal information. I've got nothing to steal other than perhaps what is in my bank account, but even there, that's not much. So what do we need to look at? Well, we need to understand that disinformation being put up by unsecure systems is going to be dangerous. So therefore, we need to keep the security of systems we hold dear very, very secure. I'm not talking about my systems. I'm talking about power companies, nuclear power stations, lighting systems, electrical distribution. It all needs to be protected. And I think this is a major area of where we need to go. Perhaps one area that we look at, and that is the way that we have a data trail, and it's becoming quite clear that some of this information, the metadata, is being read by people who shouldn't be reading it. And understanding what I'm about by looking at my data trail and looking at the way that we can predict what people are going to do, where they're going to vote, simply because I've left the data trail that tells them this. And I think we need to be a little bit more careful in the way that we leave data I out in the public and be how we see 
where it's held, and is my data secure? Who has access to my data? Um, how is it going to be used? By whom? Um, an area that is becoming increasingly interesting outside of general use is the way that cash is now becoming almost extinct. I haven't used cash in general for nearly a year. I've got information. I've got that I've got banknotes in my wallet that I haven't used. Why? Because I use Google Pay or Apple Pay, or I use my credit cards. I just do not use cash any longer. It is almost unusable. Certainly with COVID around, people are very reluctant to handle cash simply because of the problems it produces in terms of spreading disease. So I think this is going to be a big area and the way that people are looking at it. Go and have a look at the articles from Apple and the way that they are looking at it. They are openly saying it is a big area for them. Google Pay has already been out there for a number of years, and they've got a very, very good market. So have a look how security will shape the development of the Internet. I think it's a big area. And it's not just one area, it's across the broad spectrum of information that's out there. So privacy, this is, you know, the latter end of the whole business of security. Europe thinks this is a problem, and I tend to agree with them in a certain area. You know, how much information is out there that's been badly used by people? We need secure storage. Blockchain is going to be an interesting application. Will planning applications change because the amount of information that's included on an application that is now being shown to everybody? Project storage. IBM, um, Autodesk are openly putting a lot of information into their BIM 360. I've already talked about the cash transitions, but what about specific cash transitions within our industry of construction where huge amounts of money have to be transferred? Do we use blockchain to do this? Um, interesting question, I think. And blockchain should be looked at. There is a lot that we can do about this, and I think this is one area that the likes of Autodesk and the others Nemechek, who do um, Autodesk and AutoCAD, AutoCAD, need to, not AutoCAD, um, can't remember, their own versions of CAD that need to be looked at in terms of not only doing the drawing work, but also the BIM side of it and how it works with the money transactions. And then there is the unknown factor. The wild one, I'm coming back to these guys like Steve Jobs was, and the new people who are coming up into the marketplace. The one that everybody talks about is Elon Musk. Hey, he's as wild as they come in terms of ideas. But all of a sudden, he's becoming one of the richest men in the world. His turnover is insanely big. I couldn't find anything that says exactly what he's worth, but I bet it goes up exponentially every day. And he's taking us into new areas. Starlink is going into space orbit. Off-planet is becoming interesting. And who do you think about when you start to talk about this? And it's got to be Elon Musk. He's looking at new material generation. He has to be. You know, his work in, in, in rocket technology is going to produce that sort of information. And I think the way that he's looking at his Starlink, the way that he's looking at his own version of the Internet, because that's what it is, is going to be very interesting. And I like to think that he's going to be the next Steve Jobs. Sometimes things come up, we can't predict it. Who would have predicted that the coronavirus would have been such a massive disruption to the planet? Well, I say, who would have thought it? 
Well, the sci-fi information systems and, and the storylines have thought about it. And I would be surprised if some think tank somewhere has not informed governments around the world that, you know, there is a virus out there that is going to decimate the human mankind people out there. It is feasible. Yet we are headless chickens in this unknown coronavirus that's now changing the way that it works and will continue to change the way that it works. We've got a virus that is, as the government says, almost out of control. The only way we control it is by shutting down our links with everybody else. And that is clearly not the way to do it. But it is the only way that we've got at the moment. So we need to understand this. And I'm pretty sure that there are think tanks out there that are starting to work on this. And I would be pretty sure that the likes of Elon Musk have already started to think about this and how it will work. Do we need to live in big cities any longer? The answer is no, because Elon Musk's Starlink system says you don't need to um, work in a big city to get good internet. You can work easily in the middles of nowhere and still get massive internet systems and you can work from wherever you want to do it literally so i'm 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 into the unknown these wild guys who are out there who are going to come up with greater interest in new developments will the internet have an effect on the future of the new world that we see out there the new internet sure it's going to stop travel um we can do things what we want, when we want, and how we want. As I said, we don't need large-scale offices anymore. That brings up interesting ideas about what do we do with the office buildings out there. We'll convert them into homes. Why not? They're good, solid buildings. And all we need to do is just to redesign them and put flats or apartment systems into what were old offices. Do we allow AI to run the home? Of course we do, you know, mucking around with the temp stat controller in the hall as a whim is just the wrong idea. We need to say, I need to have this particular temperature. Now run it for me. And so the boiler is becomes more efficient, becomes better used. Do we need gas any longer? Hell no. Do we need electricity? Yes. What sort of electricity? Do we need DC or AC? AC was designed to run over large distances, but do we need that any longer? And the answer is no, we don't need it because of localized generation of electricity by solar panels. Why isn't DC the biggest area? I think it will be because if you look at the way that most little laptops work, we have the bricks that plug into a D an AC system and then transforms it down to DC. So my laptop can run. Laptop can run. So I see big areas here about how we can see the future developing. The unknown factor is the biggest one. And, you know, I've put up four, maybe five little headers into my research area. AI, got to be. Employment levels. You know, th th there's a big problem at the moment in people not being allowed to, to, to work around the world as they do. And so how do we handle that? How do we stop people transmitting the disease? The obvious one is that we stop them from tra traveling, but that's not going to help. We need the internet. It needs to develop, and it will over the next couple of years. We're already seeing it, and there are going to be a number of drivers, coronavirus being one of them. Want to understand it? Go and have a look at Popular Mechanics. It's the old magazine where a lot of people still publish good ideas. And then there's a site there that says five technology trends we'll see in 2021 and beyond. These are the things we need to be looking at and extrapolating the ideas. I've put up a load of references onto the onto the site about Wiki, the Internet Explained, General Mechanics, 
Forbes magazine articles, Pew Research. Go, go and have a look at Pew Research and see what they're doing. Um, a Bosch interview with Sir Tim Berners-Lee and his ideas on the next interview in the internet. Um, and see where Tim talks generally about the future. Go and have a look at the past. Go and watch and see Andy Hertzfeld and the likes of him. If you've got Netflix, go and have a look at the videos that look at the way that the old guys were running. Um, I've put a collection of videos together in a playlist. And so go and have a look at them. They're all there. And look at blockchain and the way it's working. There's a lot out there you can read, and I've put as many as I found onto the internet for you. So that's basically it. Um, go and have a look at Vince Cerf. He's interesting. Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum. Oh, and go and look at the way that Michio Keiku, the, the guy who's a professor over in the States, his ideas and, and, and lectures are stunning. His ideas, will we wear the internet? Hell yes. Go and see how that works. Um, also, Arthur C. Clarke, did he actually predict the internet? Uh, probably not, but he certainly gave us a damn good idea of how it may work. Go and read his books. They are stunningly good. Even now, they are still good. World Builder, a video link. Go and look at the way that uh, the day um, uh, a day made of glass, part one and two, made by Corning. They are also ten years old now, yet they are still good to look at. So that's it. Everything I've got, all there. The last word. Go and look at Richard Ferryman on the distinctions between the future and the past. Very, very interesting lecture. And I'll leave it there. Be good. Be safe. Stay indoors. Stay out of the way. Don't touch anybody. And I hope we'll come out of this wiser and better off and still alive. Cheers.